The scripture this morning is from John, chapter 10, 11 through 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own knows me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. This is the story of faith and faithful struggle. Thanks be to God. And now we come to the time of the sermon, the proclamation of the word. And let us be together in a spirit of prayer. O Holy One, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable to you, our strength and our salvation. And may we, like Samuel, cry out and say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Amen. Gail Page, our liturgist this week, has just read the text that is generally known as the story of the Good Shepherd. In this scripture, Jesus describes himself as a shepherd. For people in the United States today, the idea of sheep or shepherd is somewhat beyond our reality, especially in the cities and the urban centers in the working world. While there are farmers who raise and herd sheep here in this nation, there are more of us who don't experience sheep in our daily life as they did in Jesus' time. In fact, in most children's literature, in the illustrations, Jesus is depicted as smiling, tall, thin, a white man with a staff, surrounded by fluffy sheep. The sheep, somehow aware of who he is, smile in his presence. They too are joyful. But this is a cartoon interpretation. Shepherds smell like sheep, and sheep smell like outside, like grass, like dirt, like sweat, like rain, like whatever they were just chewing on. I can personally attest to this. Here's a photo of me in the Holy Land with the bishop in 2018. We were at the shepherd's field and we sang the shepherds watch their flocks by night. This was the place where the shepherds were watching their flocks and heard of the birth of Jesus from the angels. And so we were invited by a local man to hold a sheep for a dollar. And this sweetly smiling guy was pretty stinky and so was I for the rest of that day. Even more, sheep are not always the docile, 
fluffy white creatures of the cartoon image of children's books. They will fight for dominance. They will throw themselves at each other at speeds of up to 20 miles per hour. And this goes on for hours, often until one ram gives up and walks off. Luckily, these creatures have protective skills, skulls that keep them from truly injuring themselves. And Jesus is there for all of it. Centuries of nursery rhymes and children's books have taught us to think of sheep as soft and fluffy creatures. But in the wild, they fight. They compete for limited resources. The bigger ones take advantage of the smaller ones. They challenge each other to the point of boxing matches. And Jesus is there for all of it. In one of the most famous vignettes of his life, Jesus intervenes in a true clash. Although to call it a clash would be to mute the power differential in this example, a woman is about to be stoned by the town, for she, herself alone, was caught in adultery. Can you see the irony there? It takes two. But Jesus puts his body on the line and interrupts the violence. He doesn't allow himself to be a bystander, although he easily could have enjoyed the privilege of manhood and walked by. Instead, he stops the scene. He pushes those with stones to reflect on what they're getting ready to do. If anyone here is without sin, let him be the one to cast the first stone. Everyone dropped their stone at the sound of his voice. What a voice! And they will listen to my voice, the scripture says. They did on that day. To serve as a shepherd, one must be wise. One must also be willing to take on the burden of the ones they serve. As scripture states, Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And again, later in Matthew, Forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And to the person hanging beside Jesus in his last hours, he says, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Jesus goes out of his way from beginning to end to show people that he's not here to get a check and bounce. He's not detached from the people. When he says, how are you, he stays for the answer. Jesus invests emotionally into the care of these sheep. He understands that part of the job description means that you will have to fight off some wolves. He promises to connect the sheep outside of the fold into this one. He promises to put these cohorts of sheep together thus strengthening their potential for solidarity and cooperative living. And yet he is not the center of this story. Jesus is just stewarding an already living and breathing ecosystem. As shepherd, he's only supporting a community that already exists without him. But we cannot ignore that in this scripture, the shepherd who protects also sacrifices. The scripture reminds us that the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
Many writers have drawn the connection between Jesus as sacrifice and other black people killed by the state. Seven last words services have been happening on Good Friday for a few years in Christian communities, including ours last year with the Greater Concord Interfaith Council, featuring not the words of Christ, but the words of black people today who have been killed by police officers and vigilantes. Poet Crystal Valentine chillingly asked how anyone could doubt the blackness of Christ when he died in the blackest way possible, with his hands up, with his mother watching. The late Dr. James Cone wrote an incredible text called The Cross and the Lynching Tree in which he draws the very clear line between the terrors of the cross and the tree on which so many young black men were hung. The parallel is glaring. As Christians, we ought to be accountable to the straight line from the forces that killed Jesus and the forces that continue to kill black people today. How and when, though, does that parallel become more perpendicular, as in meeting at certain intersections and then never meeting again? What distinguishes Jesus from so many of these others is consent. The scripture records Jesus saying, I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. Sadly, among even progressive Christians, we see blood sacrifice as a transaction worth honoring. In a sermon preached at Bethany Baptist Church in Newark, New Jersey, Reverend Dr. Emma Jordan Simpson recounted a white person telling her that George Floyd was the wake-up call we needed. What does it do in the imaginations of Christians across the world to believe that God requires a transaction to settle the score? How does it do harm to the very people who give of themselves unwillingly? Why does it consistently take sacrifice? And why are the same people being used as sacrifices? As James Baldwin offered in the documentary, The Price of the Ticket, what is it you wanted me to reconcile myself to? He says, I was born here almost 60 years ago. I'm not going to live another 60 years. You always told me it takes time. It has taken my father's time, my mother's time, my uncle's time, my brother's and my sister's time. How much time do you want for your progress? As myself, a white woman of some privilege, I cannot possibly answer those questions, even to my own satisfaction. And so I share with you the words of Candace Simpson, the associate pastor at the Concord Baptist Church of Christ in Brooklyn, New York, who says, when the most dominant and dominating idea of a major religion in the United States centers on the idea of substitutionary atonement, of transactional justice, of judgment, of one life for another, involuntary surrogacy, 
We can only expect that on systemic levels, there is a lack of compassion and tenderness. We can expect the violence of carceral logic. We can expect the violence of ableism that sacrifices the elderly and the immunocompromised. Immediately after the November election, she goes on, and after the runoff in January, people made t-shirts and hashtags saying, black women will save us. Thinking of Vice President Kamala Harris and Georgian politician and activist Stacey Abrams. But no black woman signed up to be the sacrifice. At best, these particular black women that we gesture toward are attempting to save their own lives. And in the process, others get saved too. As the Combahee River Collective was clear to say, if black women were free, it would mean that everyone else would have to be free since our freedom would necessitate the destruction of all the systems of oppression. In James Cleveland's classic Good Friday song called He Decided, the choir reminds us Jesus would not come down from the cross just to save himself. He decided to die just to save me. The key, so, the key word in that song is decided. There were moments when Jesus could have bowed out of the task and dispatched angels to surround him. But in vignettes like this, we get the sense that the power of resurrection depends on a willing sacrifice. Given his simultaneous divinity, it might not even be fair to put Jesus' sacrifice on the same level as others. His actual parent is God, who has that kind of cushion and support. No one wants to be surrendered to the hands of a police officer, to coronavirus, to imperialism, to violence. I've heard people thanking George Floyd for his sacrifice, but it wasn't his idea to die that day. And it certainly wasn't the desire of his family. We must interrogate the ways we turn tragic events into aha moments for our own enlightenment. Whose body have we placed on the cross for our salvation? Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift of enlightenment and awareness through the precious scripture that we study. Amen.